what? Becoming like Christ. It's a series in which uh, is dug deep profoundly in the book of Philippians. Uh, we've talked about this already for four weeks. This is going to be our fifth week out of, out of six. Uh, we know that the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, at the times that this uh, letter, this epistle was written to the church of the Philippians, uh, he, was, he was in some form of prison. And although he was in some form of prison, he is encouraging the church of, Philipp uh, of, of the Philippians to continue to do, to continue to work towards becoming like Christ, even in the face of adversity. He strongly believed in the work in which God was doing through the Philippian church, and he encouraged them, and he told them, listen, listen to this. Be encouraged because he who began a good work in you will finish it out. It, just because things are tough, just because things are hard, whatever God has called upon your life, he's going to finish that call. Even though for some of us it feels like, wait a minute, there's been a huge break. There's been a huge pause. And so this is the theme throughout the book of Philippians. And last week, we talked about how the Apostle Paul was teaching us on the process of becoming like Christ. And in last week's passages, he talked to us, remember, on becoming like Christ means that we are working out our salvation. Not that we are working towards salvation, not that we're working to gain salvation, because that is not what the Bible teaches us, but that because we have had the free gift of salvation upon us by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we ought to be doing things to allow that salvation to grow. But it's not just about you get saved, you give your life to Jesus Christ, and, and you keep it to yourself. But that you have to continue to find ways to exercise your faith, to allow it to grow, to produce fruit. And allow that fruit to be able to pour it on for others to be able to take part of. We talked about us while we're becoming like Christ, we need to serve without complaining. Because you can't try to tell the world to come to know Christ if you're acting just like the world. And how we need to be the light of Jesus. That when we're able to do these things, when we're able to work out our salvation, when we're able to serve without complaining, what happens is now we are able to shine bright like the beautiful stars in the skies to help allow others that are in darkness to find the light in Jesus Christ. So we learned last week that's what the Apostle Paul taught us through the third chapter of the book of Philippians, or the second chapter of the book of Philippians. And in this section here today, this section of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we are reminded that if we choose to follow Jesus, that we don't just get to get rid of the disposable stuff from our old life. But we also have to get rid of those things that we want to hold on to. That's what the Apostle Paul focuses the third chapter of the book of Philippians. He talks about this tension. The reality is that there is a tension when you give your life to Jesus Christ. When, you, when it's away with the old and now you, you, you are a new creation. Now you have a new life in Jesus Christ. There is a tension. And that tension is first and foremost that we gladly, we gladly want to lose those things that need to go, right? We give our life to Christ. We want to get rid of that sin. We want to get rid of that guilt. We want to get rid of that shame. We want to get rid of that broken identity. We're more than happy that when we give our life to Christ to go on ahead and get rid of all that stuff as soon as we can. But the tension is that we also need to lose those things that we want to keep so much. 
also want to, we, we, we need to lose those things. And God, you can take all this, but hold on. I don't, I'm not quite ready to get rid of that yet. We don't want to lose. We want to keep the life that we've built. We want to keep our cultural and our social status. We want to keep the lifestyle that we've become so accustomed to. And in fact, Paul's message here in this third chapter is how worthless everything that we have is when we understand the priceless worth of knowing Jesus. We're going to be challenged here in this message here because the Apostle Paul is going to say, hey, listen, everything that you have, man, it is worthless when you compare it to Christ and what he has done. The reality is that some of us are here today with baggage that we need to get rid of. And Jesus is inviting you to go on ahead and give it to him. Isn't that great news? We've got some baggage in us that we need to get rid of, we want to get rid of, and Jesus Christ, your Savior, is saying, give it to me. There's others that are here this morning or watching us online that are holding on to areas of life that we just don't want to let go of. But let me tell you something, church. You will never fully be able to take hold of Christ if your hands are full with whatever it is that you're holding on to. And so today we're going to discuss a few points that Paul makes to the church there, uh, the Philippians. And the first thing, the first point that he mentions in the very beginning of this uh, passage in chapter 3 is that our gains are not enough. Our gains are not enough. And this is an important word to us. Why is it important? Because we live in a culture, a culture today, that defines us by our accomplishments. We live in a culture today that defines us by our success. We live in a culture today that defines us by our advancement. In a culture that looks you straight at your face and says, what have you accomplished? What are your success? And based upon that, then I will know how much gain, how much worth you really have. The reality is that sometimes we give in to that pressure. We give in to that pressure of comparison. I want you to, to understand one thing, and that is that hard work is important. Hard work is even biblical. I'm not telling you, oh, pastors, well, since our gains are not enough, then that means I don't have to work. I don't have to work hard. I don't have to do any of those things because as long as I got Christ, I'm good. No, that's not what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, as I say this, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Another passage in the Bible that says, listen, if you are not willing to work, then don't expect to eat. So work is important. Giving your effort to things that matter, that's important. But your identity is not in what you've accomplished is what I'm trying to tell you and what the Apostle Paul is telling us. But rather, it is in what Jesus has accomplished for you. And so here we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. A guy, listen, and I'm going to get into his credentials in a little bit. But this brother here, the Apostle Paul, was a guy who was born into opportunity. 
This was a guy who, who had built a solid life for himself. And yet, he realizes how little it matters when you encounter something as big as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go on ahead and jump in to what the Apostle Paul writes, not only to the Philippian church, but to the church here today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll have these verses up on the screen as well. But chapter 3, verse 1, he goes on ahead and he opens it up like this. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now he tells them, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Let me break this down for you a little bit. It seems that there were some people during this time in which the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church there in the area uh, of Philippi, and he goes on ahead, and, and it looks like these people are, are causing the people who have given their life to Jesus Christ, who are doing the work for the gospel, it, it, it's, these people are making them kind of double question their faith. It, it's making them question uh, where they stand with God because they haven't been circumcised. Some of us, if you're hearing this for the first time, are saying, what in the world does circumcision have to do with the relationship with God? I want to know. I want to know. That's a song from a, a Christian rapper that I like. I, I, won't, I won't rap it. I'm going to keep it nice and simple for you guys. What does circumcision have to do with your placement with God? Well, in order for me to give you that understanding, I have to take you back into the beginning. Back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And this was what we called the Abrahamic covenant. This was a covenant in which God made with, with Abraham. And he gave him a promise for all of his descendants. And I'll, I'll read it to you. I don't have this up on the passage. Passage is there because I threw this in last minute. But if you want to follow with me or keep notes, it's Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And this is God speaking to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so this was the promise. This was the covenant in which God is giving to Abraham and all of his descendants. And so where the whole circumcision comes to point was that as a religious rite, circumcision, in order to kind of like seal, to prove that you were on board with this covenant, circumcision was required of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign that the covenant that God had made with them was now complete, that it was, it was sealed. It was a sealed covenant at that time. So all the men in Abraham's line had to go on ahead and do this. And it happened from that point, God puts them in a deep sleep, it happens to Abraham, and so on forward. 
However, what happens is that then Jesus Christ comes. And Jesus Christ comes out ahead and he dies on the cross for us. And now there was a shedding of blood. And now the Bible shows us in the New Testament that now that that new covenant had kind of completed the old one and now was going into the new one, that all those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ now had a circumcised heart, if you want to put it that way. That now that new covenant, the new promise that was founded, it was gone on ahead and completed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So in the New Testament, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, what that meant is that Christians were no longer under the Old Testament law. It meant that circumcision was now no longer needed. And that's why Paul is telling them, listen, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In other words, he says, look, back then these people were doing things and it was all about what they were physically doing to try to achieve uh, fulfillment in God, but that has stopped because of the work of saving grace work of Jesus Christ. They believed, some of these people at that time, that it was the physical practices that made you right. But when we lean, church, on physical practices rather than spiritual, the, the, the spiritual resurrection for our salvation, then the reality is that we have been swept up in something other than the gospel. It doesn't matter, church, what your parents did when you were younger or any of the rituals that you have gone through. The truth is that you were sealed for eternity. You want to know how? Through Jesus Christ. Not your politics, not your preferences, not your ideas or, or church background. You've been sealed to have eternity through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Our confidence can't be in anything that we gain from how we were born or how hard that we have worked since. He goes on ahead, and now he gets to this point. Listen, if anybody, if anybody has the, the, the proper resume to be right with God because of all of the works that they have done, Paul says, that's me. And we're going to get into this right now. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in flesh, I have more. See, the Apostle Paul is saying it's not by your flesh. It's not by your works alone. It's not by what you do or, or the prayer that you pray or, or, or the actions that you take to follow rules and laws that get you grace with God. That's what he's trying to tell the Philippian church. Because he says, if that was the case, I have more reasons to be good. What he says is, I could one-up you in that game. And he starts by saying in verse 5, he says, and he's speaking about himself now. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Meaning, hey, I had the right childhood rituals. He says, of the people of Israel. Meaning, hey, I've also been born in the right race. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was one of the 12 tribes and he says this was the right tribe because actually the, 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 the tribe of Benjamin was the first tribe to actually give Israel their first king. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That meant that, hey, I speak the language of Scripture. He says, in regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. It means he worked to take the Scripture so, so seriously. In verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church. 
Why was Paul persecuting the church? Listen, because he was, his name was Saul at the time, and, and, and he, was, he didn't know Christ. He didn't know Jesus' saving grace. He didn't have a relationship with him. So what he was doing was based on the rituals, based on, on what was stuck with the old law. And he actually, the reason why he says, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church was because he was so devoted to what he believed was right that he was persecuting those that he saw that was opposing the tradition. He says, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So to Paul's point, what he's trying to say, if any of these checkpoints of achievements mattered, then I'm good. Paul's like, man, get me out of this. He he would say, get me out of these uh, these, these chains. I'm good because if everything is based on all of our, our physical achievements, then I've achieved them all. But then something interesting happens. In verse 7, this is what Paul says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says that we serve God by his spirit and boast in Jesus because our gains aren't enough. There's nothing, church, that we can do physically enough of that is going to get us grace with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Because if you say, okay, I don't need the grace of Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to get to you in heaven because I'm going to do everything perfectly the way your Bible says to do it. Man, you are going to fall flat on your face day after day after day. How many times have you tried in your own effort to live up to who God has called you to be and fail? Paul is saying it's by grace. Our gains are not enough. Our gain can't get us to heaven. Remember in John chapter 3, there's an interesting conversation that happens. This other religious leader, Nicodemus, comes and meets Jesus in private. He was a Pharisee. And he tells Jesus that they're having this good, good conversation. Like, hey, what is it that you have to do to be born again? And and Jesus tells Nicodemus, listen, you you have to be born again. To have a relationship, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, wait a minute, Jesus, that's crazy. How can that physically be possible? I can't just take myself a grown man and throw myself back into my mother's womb. Jesus was telling him, it's not about a physical process, but a death to what you now consider gain. You see, church, the reality is this is that your resume may fool a future employer, but your resume doesn't fool God. And so here's a tough pill for us to swallow when we've built an admirable life, because the reality is, remember, remember this world defines defines us on our success and our achievements? But a tough pill to swallow is that when you've built an admirable life and all you have done in life is really try to do that, then everything you've gained is not, nor it will it ever be enough. Because when you're trying to build treasures, build all this stuff here in this world, you're never going to be happy. Listen, that house that you got that says, oh, that's my dream house, give it two years and you want a bigger one. The car that you had that had that new car smell, then you had two kids and forget it, now it doesn't smell new no more. I want a nicer one relationship that you got into when you decided to marry your spouse that you said, oh, this, she makes me feel like Prince Charming or, or he makes me feel like 
like I'm a princess, listen, after a while with some, with some financial stress and ba- screaming babies on the sideline, that kind of changes a little bit. All that to say is that we're never satisfied as human beings. We always want more. The Apostle Paul is saying don't work towards the gains of this world and that alone. Church, what Paul is saying to us is that we must want Jesus so much that we are willing to lose everything else. We can say that we believe in Jesus because we agree with the story. We can say that we believe in Jesus because we believe in the commands, because we believe that the teachings of the Bible are true. But what do we believe him, but do we believe him to the level that we obey everything that he says? What do you want so bad, church, that you are willing to give up everything for? Is it fame? Is it success? Is it recognition? Do you want Jesus so much that you will lose everything just to gain more of him? Philippians 3, 7, he says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The Apostle Paul is saying that once I started getting to know Jesus, the more and more I I got to know him, there was nothing else that I could add to my life or hold on to my life that would bring me more value than him. In fact, the more you lose, the Apostle Paul is saying, the more capacity you have for more of him in your life. He says, I consider them garbage. What does he consider garbage? All the things that he had achieved. You know what, how crazy that is? To have achieved so much? To have accomplished so many things in life? It's like us. Maybe we've worked so hard and we've padded up our bank accounts or we've done all we can do to get up on the company line. We've done all we do to have the perfect family. But Paul is saying you've got to get to the point where you know Jesus so much, you want so much more of him that you consider that these things are great, but they're garbage compared to knowing who Christ is and having a true relationship with him. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is saying, I don't want to have to try to be righteous enough. Listen, if, you, if, if that's your lifestyle, that you're just going to live as much, try as hard as you can to be righteous enough, man, you're going to get exhausted. That's why he says, I don't want to have to try to be righteous enough. I want the kind of God that gives that, that, that gives me the ability to have faith in Jesus. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. The word knowing here isn't just an information transaction. You know, like the, you didn't know, so somebody told you, and now you know, you know, like a documentary. This is the kind of knowing that only comes through understanding 
the person. Not knowing someone from reading a, a biography, but knowing someone from sitting with them, from talking with them, and understanding who they are and why they did exactly what they did. Paul is saying, I would give up everything to keep walking with Jesus. Is that us? And push them to shove, will we be willing to give up everything to keep walking with Jesus? Understanding him better so that we get to know him deeper? This means I need to know what I'm getting into, not just the inspiring benefits, but the surrender in death is what Paul is teaching us. Remember that conversation that took place in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, with the rich man. Remember that conversation? A rich man comes to Jesus while he's with his disciples, and he tells Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to have everlasting life, to have eternal life? What do I got to do? And Jesus goes on ahead and answers him, and he says, if you want to enter eternal life, then you need to keep the commands. The rich man says, I've done that. What is he talking about? Because the rich man has that mentality, hey, I've kept all the commands. I've done everything. I'm doing everything that the law says. I'm doing all of the right rituals. I'm doing all of the right commands, and I'm doing all of this stuff right. I've done that. But yet there's still incompletion. He says, what am I missing? I followed everything. What am I missing? And Jesus goes on ahead and he tells the rich man in, in verse 21, he says, if you want to be perfect, then go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. I love that. He says something very important there. He says, if you want to be perfect, in other words, if you're going to be trying to get to heaven by following all these laws that you're saying you're following, that means you better be perfect. And if you're going to be perfect, that means you got to go on ahead and sell all of your possessions to the poor, and then you're going to have treasure in heaven. Jesus saw that he had possibly done everything to the book, except he had many possessions. So he said, sell it. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know what Jesus was saying there? If you're going to try to get to heaven based on your works, then you better do it all right, or you ain't going to have any eternal life. That was a challenge that was being made right there to that man. It's either you're going to be perfect and walk a fine line, or you're going to give your life to me, follow me, and allow my grace and mercy to help lead you to eternal life. But when the disciples heard that, they went out ahead and they asked him, who, who can be saved then? Jesus, that's, that's impossible to be perfect. In verse 26, Jesus says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God are all things are possible. So some of us may ask, what am I missing? For many, what we're missing is that all-consuming knowing of Jesus. Church, you cannot gain enough in this life that will surpass what is already ours in Jesus Christ. And if you're sad about what you're losing, if you're having a difficult time with that, of what you're going to have to give up in order to follow Jesus, then all that means is that you haven't fully seen what it is that you are gaining. 
when you give your life completely to Jesus Christ. Lastly, Paul explains that we must be willing to lose everything so that we can gain everything. Be willing to lose everything so you can gain everything. Like the last example that we just read about Jesus, what Paul is saying, well, what, what I'm saying is that I hope that you can encounter Jesus in such a way that makes everything you have worth losing. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says that even though I have accomplished all that I have accomplished for the sake of the gospel, he says, I just can't sit and boast because I haven't made it yet. I must continue to press on is what the Apostle Paul says. And so listen, church, just because you've given your life to Jesus Christ, just because you've gone and, and made and helped disciple people and baptize, you've been baptized and you're reading your word and you you're, you're, have your devotional time, your worship time, I want you to listen to this. According to what the Apostle Paul says, and it is true that we aren't there yet. We've come further than where we've been, but we aren't yet where we're going. Because Apostle Paul says our goal is not just to be good Christians here on earth. Our goal is to have eternal life and be face-to-face -face with the Creator in all things. The question is, will you let go of everything that's holding you back so that you can take hold of Him? Because here's the truth. Christ has already taken a hold of you. In verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, this is very important here, church, listen. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Very important what he says here, forget what is behind you. And give everything that you have to keep reaching for Jesus as you follow him. You know, I remember when I was first reading this years and years ago, I just, I always thought that when he talked about forgetting what's behind you, it's just a, forget about the bad stuff. Forget about the bad stuff that's behind you and just continue to focus on God. Forget about a, the, the, the bad experiences. Maybe even in the church, forget about, forget about all the things that, that rubbed you the wrong way. Forget about that and focus on Jesus Christ. But after studying more and more about this, what I've learned is not just about forgetting the bad stuff, but forget about the good stuff too. Because what happens is we can get so caught up in the good that we've done that we stay stagnant. He says, don't get full of your accomplishments. What happened yesterday, guess what? Big deal. It happened. Continue to strive forward to continue to do good works for Jesus Christ while you are still here on this side of eternity until you get to eternity. Because that's a problem sometimes. It's not just about what's happened in the past that, 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 that makes us stagnant. It's also about the good. Man, I, man, I, I help disciple people. I baptize people. Man, I read the Bible ten times front and back. I've done all these good things, so I'm good. No, man. While you still have breath in your lungs, keep going. Keep Pressing on. Keep pushing forward. Don't be satisfied. Don't be content with anything that you have accomplished in this world. Because it ain't over until it's over. It's not over until you're standing face to face in front of your creator. 
When he asks you, what did you do with what I gave you? Gave you the gifts I gave you, the talents I gave you. Don't say, well, God, about halfway through my life, I did so much that I decided I was good. No, be able to say, God, I continue to press in. I continue to do your work. Sometimes I stumbled, but I got right back up, and I continued to move forward. Forget what is behind you, church, and give everything you have to keep reaching for Jesus as you follow him. Press on toward your eternity out of the evil in this world and into the full presence of God. Because when all you want is to be with Jesus, church, nothing compares to leaving everything here, to fully embrace everything in a holy place. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Get rid of everything, church, so that you can fully take hold of every aspect of who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to be closing with what is known as the gospel. A great example of that is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be? You see that? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit himself? This passage, church, specifically verse 26, we need to memorize this verse. We need to type it up, print it out, put it on everywhere in our house. And this has to be a reflection, a reminder to us. What are you working towards each and every single day? What is all your time and energy focused on each and every single day? Is it to advance you yourself here in this world? Is it to, 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 to make the, the best image of yourself? To have the best of everything? Is that what you're working so hard for? Are you working so hard and, and you're busting your behind night after night, day after day, so that you can be ready and prepared uh, and good down the line five years from now, ten years from now? Listen, you don't know if you got tomorrow. That's foolishness. It's important. It's valuable. We should be thinking like that, but not where we're putting all our eggs in that one basket. That's what we need to understand here. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. So I need us, church, we all need to, including myself, to take an honest look at our life and ask, what would you rather have? The fullness of God or whatever you're currently, whatever you currently have going for you? Which one would you rather have? If it's Jesus, we need to lay down what it is that we have. We need to receive Jesus. We need to be, receive his forgiveness. Receive his love. Receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Knowing that 
Peter was preaching, once Jesus had died on the cross, resurrected, he ascended back into the heavens, he was, he was preaching. He was preaching, and, and people were saying, what must we do to have eternal life? What must we do to be able to have that where Jesus is gone, what everyone is teaching about, what, what, what must we do? He says, first, you must believe. You must believe what Jesus Christ has done. You need to repent, meaning you have to turn back from, from, from your evil ways. You need to turn back from whatever, wherever it was that you, was, you were headed toward, that Jesus wasn't the final destination. You need to turn back from that. You need to repent. And you need to be baptized. You need to publicly display that you have repented. These are the steps. This is the gospel. This is what we've learned needs to happen. So I'm going to ask that we rise to our feet but that we would take these words into consideration and to make sure that we are taking the proper steps forward towards our goal of knowing Christ. Not just knowing Christ that, hey, I know about him because I read of him, because I heard the pastors teach of him, but knowing Christ the way you know that they're your closest friends. Why are they your closest friends? Because you spend time knowing them, getting to know them. What's our motive? What's our end goal? You tell me whatever your goal is, and I, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to guess where all your time and energy is focused towards. So make sure that Christ, eternal life, make sure that's our goal. You can have other goals, that's fine, but the ultimate goal has to be Christ. The ultimate goal has to be your eternal life. Let's close our eyes. Let us focus on the Lord. Let us just remember that verse, verse 26 of Matthew 16. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? This year, the ending of last year and this year, I became accustomed to the term the ending of sermons, to have us all here in the church and those that are online to close your eyes and to get into the practice of running to the feet of Jesus, get into the practice of taking all pride away and have a repentant heart. The reality is that there's some of us here today, some of us watching online, that we have made everything else in this world a pro bigger priority than Christ himself and our goal towards eternal life. And the fact that that is true, we need to go before the throne room of, of Jesus Christ with a repentant heart and say, God, forgive me for making more out of this world than I have of you. Yes, I've had you in the picture. Yes, you have been one of my, one of my priorities, but you have not been the ultimate goal. Listen, your priorities are mixed up if that is the case. But that's okay. Because as long as we have breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to go before God and try to make things right. So if that's you here today, I challenge you to go before God and, and tell him, God, forgive me. Forgive me for switching up my priorities in life. God, let my goal be you. Let my ultimate goal be you. Because the word says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added unto me. 
Forgive me for making more out of this world. Forgive me for caring more of what people around me think of me than what I want you to think of me. Father, help shift my priorities. Father, help me be a man or a woman, a son or daughter of you that walks around life with loose hands, not tight hands, holding on to everything that we have, saying, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But allow us to loosen our hands to say, God, if this is not for me, if this is not what you want me to be focused on, get rid of it. But see my open hands and fill them with what you want them to have. Father, we come before you at this moment and we just thank you for speaking to your church once again. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this word, this challenge, Father God, of today's word, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that not only will we just say, hey, that was good and, and, and just continue with life, but that we would take that word and apply it to our lives. We would desire you more than anything else. And we would seek your kingdom more than anything else. That our actions, that our drives, that our motives, that our work habits, Father God, that they would not point others towards what our goal is here in this world, but that they would see that and they would point others towards wanting to know you more as well. So I pray for your church, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would hear their prayers. Lord, I pray that you would challenge them, that you would stir in their hearts a desire to get to know you more, God, to increase the fire in their hearts, to increase the passion in their hearts to serve you more, to know you more, to understand you more, God. Lord, we pray for protection over their hearts and in their minds in this time. Lord, now I pray as we get ready to dismiss here today, Lord, that you would go on ahead and protect your people as we are getting home or whatever it is that we are going to do. And I pray, Lord, that you would also continue to remind us who it is that you've called us to be. And no matter where we are at in our workplace, in our homes, and during family gatherings, God, Lord, that you've called us to be the salt of this earth. You've called us to be the light of the world. You have called us, Father God, not to blend in, but to stand out. God, the people would look at us in this dark world and see a light that leads to you, Jesus. Now, church, I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you all peace. In Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of God says, Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. We love you. Once again, don't forget to uh, be looking out on Wednesday when we have these groups set up so that you can go on ahead and start signing up. Have a great week.